insurance, along levees and fire lines. And the next chapter is yours to help write. Sign up to volunteer at usaservice.org. That's usaservice.org. Let's renew America together. A message from Renew America Together, brought to you by the Ad Council. This close. After immunizing more than 2 billion children, Rotary Club members are this close to wiping polio from the face of the earth. But we need your help. Thanks to an historic matching grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, every dollar Rotary raises will work twice as hard to protect children against polio forever. This is an opportunity to end polio now. Visit rotary.org slash end polio. Rotary. Humanity in motion. You're listening to WKNC 88.1 FM, Raleigh. Welcome to Eye on the Triangle with Sesha Hindi. A weekly glimpse into our community, bringing you news from the brickyard to your backyard. This weekend news on Eye on the Triangle. A brief rundown of the latest news. Good evening, and thank you for tuning in to WKNC's Eye on the Triangle. I'm Evan Garris. And I'm Jack Boyer. Now for your headlines. The New York Times is following a breaking story out of Washington where Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid announced at a press conference this afternoon that the Senate's version of the health care bill will include a government-run health insurance plan. Included in the legislation is a provision allowing individual states to opt out of the public plan if they deem it necessary. Legislators have struggled in recent weeks to reach a consensus on the fate of the public option, so this latest development represents a monumental breakthrough. However, Reid and Senate Democrats will need 60 votes in order to pass the bill. This may prove to be no small feat, as some moderate Democrats have expressed concern over the efficacy of government-run health care. If 60 senators refuse to accept the bill, Reid would have to regroup and try again. The bill will not be ready for a vote on the Senate floor until a cost analysis is scored by the Congressional Budget Office. Two major explosions rocked Baghdad on Sunday, killing over 150 bystanders and wounding another 500, according to the BBC. Two suicide bombers are to blame, detonating two vehicles in quick succession, one in the middle of a crowded intersection and another in a parking garage. Both were proximal to the heavily fortified green zone. President Obama was quick to decry the attacks as, quote, hateful and destructive. Iran's, Iran's foreign ministry echoed President's, President Obama's statement, saying that the attacks, quote, aimed to wreck stability in the process of creating democratic structures. Iraqi Prime Minister Nouri al-Malaki visited the scene Sunday, assigning the blame to al-Qaeda fundamentalists and supporters of former Iraqi dictator Saddam Hussein. These attacks, these attacks rather, are the bloodiest since April of 2007. Overall, violence in Iraq has declined over the past year. However, many fear this is a harbinger of future attacks as the country draws closer to its parliamentary elections at the beginning of next year. Tensions overflowed in Jerusalem early Sunday morning, leaving dozens wounded after a clash around the Al-Aqsa Mosque compound. Al Jazeera is reporting that the violence started after Israeli soldiers fired tear gas and stun grenades at a group of Palestinian students who were protesting the alleged calls of an, of an Israeli fringe group for Jews to gather at the mosque, as well as the adjacent Western Wall. The students began to throw rocks at Israeli soldiers patrolling the area, who in turn responded with force. The site is known to Jews as the Temple on the Mount and to Muslims as Al-Haram al-Sharif, comprising the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Dome of the Rock. Al-Haram al-Sharif was the center of another controversy in 2000 when a visit from former Israeli Prime Minister Ariel Sharon ignited the second Palestinian uprising, or Intifada. Now for your local headlines. 
Uh, thank you, Evan. Uh, the ground has broken on a new library for Centennial Campus, technician reports. The James B. Hunt Jr. Library, named for the former governor and NCSU alum, is scheduled to open in mid-2012, providing resources and a focal point for the expanding engineering campus. Governor Hunt was in attendance on Friday's dedication ceremony, where Chancellor Woodward and Jim Sresnik lauded Hunt for his educational initiatives that paved the way for Centennial Campus. If you are in or plan to be near South, West, Person, and Morgan Streets, or the box that that creates in downtown Raleigh, there's a new city-sponsored outdoor Wi-Fi service at your fingertips. But don't go crazy with it. City officials say there's a limit to how much you can download and how long you can stay on. And despite weather that didn't cooperate, there was something in the deep fryer that kept the crowds coming to this year's state fair. WRAL reports that the 11-day attendance was the highest ever, with 877,941 visitors. I went at least 12 times. Human interest story of the day. If you haven't picked your Halloween disguise yet, don't worry. You can just be a follower. Here's the AP's projections for the hottest costumes. Think dead celebrities. The King of Pop is in this year, as well as reality stars like Kate Goslin and Amy Winehouse. And with a recent slew of vampire TV shows and movies, expect to find a horde of vampires on Saturday night. For kids, princesses are back, while boys are flocking to Transformers and G.I. Joe. And one or two enterprising folks will crash land into your party as the Balloon Boy. I won't give away what Evan is using. And now for something I know has happened to all of us at least once. A man in Iowa City, Iowa, was minding his own business at a restaurant near the campus of the University of Iowa around 1 a.m. on Sunday. While in line to order food, another man approached, called him a zombie, and proceeded to beat him to the point that he required a hospital visit. We're still waiting for a comment from the AZLU. The AZLU, you ask, is the American Zombie Liberties Union. Oh, I was wondering. Well, in weather, find a coffee shop in your old Nirvana albums because for the next few days the weather will be downright Seattle-ish. Mostly cloudy skies and the chance for rain showers stays with us until Wednesday night when the best chance for heavier rain will be on Tuesday and early Wednesday. Tonight's low will be in the lower 50s with tomorrow only in the lower 60s, much like today. Wednesday's temperatures will warm up into the lower 70s. By Thursday, we could see more sunshine and temperatures in the mid-70s. At the moment, the forecast for Friday and Saturday, Halloween weekend, should be staying dry with temperatures possibly in the upper 70s. And uh, don't worry, today's historical anniversaries, 1948, uh, 20 people died. Smog caused by trap pollution killed uh, 20 people and sickened thousands in Denora, Pennsylvania. This day in 1977, the last natural case of smallpox is discovered in Somalia by the WHO. Followed by, in 2001, the passage of the USA Patriot Act, grr, signed into law. And I would like to buy an A, today's birthday, Pat Sajak. Pat Sajak. Yes, and? Oh, and everybody's favorite lady in a pantsuit, the smartest, one of the smartest women you will meet, Hill Dog, Hillary Clinton. This is a shout-out to you. 62 years old today, born in 1947. The time is 7.06. You are now up to date on Eye on the Triangle. Jack and Evan, you're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. I'm Seja Hindi. In this week's VIP, we'll be talking about the downward trend in college yearbook sales and what editors like those at NC State are doing to try to reverse that trend. In our extended community canvas, Mike Austin talked to Damian Madalena about WKNC's adaptation of War of the Worlds. And as always, we'll have our Student of the Week segment. This week is Andrew Tucker and our weekly Soundbite segment. But before we get to all that, Derek and Coop are going to give you our weekly Wolfpack Sports Update. 
What do you guys have for us this week? What's up, guys? Uh, welcome back to another week in Wolfpack Sports. We're going to take a look at a few different things tonight, uh, not focus just on football. I know that might uh, make more of you mad than happy at this point in the season. So uh, I'm going to let Coop talk just a little bit, and we'll, we'll jump into some men's basketball. All right, so sports writers covering the ACC picked the NCSU men's basketball team to finish 12th in the conference at the ACC Media Day Sunday. Senior Dennis Horner and Coach Sidney Lowe shared similar feelings that the low expectations don't mean much to the team. So, Derek, what factors do you think led the pack to being picked last, and how do you think the season has a chance of actually playing out? Well, when you look at why they're picked last, I think it's pretty easy to see why. You know, they lost their top three scorers uh, last season uh, off of last season's team, and, and coming into the year, they're young, inexperienced in a lot of spots. Uh, Tracy Smith is the only guy who's really a proven scorer. Um, they got five freshmen. You know, they're picked last. Um, I don't really know if that means a whole lot at this point. The ACC as a whole, I think, is going to be a little down this year, so... I think they have a chance to surprise some people. You know, right now, if they win four or five ACC games, I think that would be pretty much a successful season. Maybe make the NIT, make a push in the ACC tournament, maybe even get in the NCAA tournament if they play well in non-conference season. So, you know, being picked last, all it does is keep expectations down, and uh, if they if they break those expectations, then uh, then it's all the better. I think certainly making any type of postseason play when you're picked last would definitely be um, a sense of accomplishment for this year. Uh, talk a little bit more about this year's freshman class and how exactly you think they could impact the team directly. Well, the the freshman class, uh, Sydney Lowe brought in five new guys this year, um, and a, and a lot of uh, Wolfpack fans that follow you know recruiting that sort of thing are really excited about this class. They might be more excited about next year, but they're really excited about this year. You got uh, Scott Wood, Deshaun Painter, Richard Howell. Josh Davis and Jordan Vandenberg coming in this year. Uh, Vandenberg, Howell, and Painter are all front court players. Uh, Scott Wood is a really exciting shooter out of Indiana. He went to the ha- uh, same high school as Julius Mays. Um, and then uh, Josh Davis is from right here in Raleigh, went to Athens Drive. He's a, kind of a wing player, um, the hustle guy on the team. He's going to be the one getting rebounds, diving for loose balls on the floor, that sort of thing. They're a really exciting group. I think uh, you'll, see, you'll see a lot of them on the court uh, really early on in the season. And uh, – I think they're going to do do well and surprise some people. All right, and last thing, I think the position that's kind of held back the pack in the last few years is at point guard. What changes can we see this year that might help out a little bit? Well, uh, all throughout the offseason, Sidney Lowe really didn't talk that much about what he was going to do with point guard. You had uh, Farnell DeGan, Julius Mays, and Javi Gonzalez all had experience playing point guard, and he was just really quiet on what was going to end up happening with that position. What's kind of come out in the last couple weeks is that uh, – it's looking like Julius Mays, and, uh, Julius Mays and Javi Gonzalez are going to be your two main guys playing point guard, and Farnold DeGan is going to move over to the shooting guard spot. I think that's what, uh, what that's going to allow them to do is play a little more up-tempo, which is exactly what Sidney Lowe wants to do this year. I think with a young team, he's going to get them up and down the court. Uh, and I think when you play a little faster like that, uh, mistakes, you get more possessions, so mistakes maybe don't come into play that much. Turnovers don't mean quite as much if you get uh, two-thirds more possessions during a game. So... We'll see how it works out. I think uh, Mays and Gonzalez are the two best choices. DeGan has been really inconsistent during his time here. Um, not to say those other two guys have lit it up, but I think, I think that's the best choice moving forward right now is to, is to put Javi Gonzalez and, uh, and Julius Mays, let them split time and see what happens. All right, uh, switching up a little bit, the women's basketball team also held their media day today in Greensboro, and the pack was selected to finish ninth. What kind of team do you think we can expect to see from first-year coach Kelly Harper? Uh, I think it's kind of hard to tell right now. Um, I know one one person I remember vividly that they're going to lose from last year's team is Shayla Fields. 
Um, she was uh, a, a player who had played four years, had a lot of experience, and was a huge uh, part of that team as far as scoring and then on the leadership end of it. So I think losing her and then they lost a couple other girls, I think that's going to have an impact. Um, Kelly Harper has said that, that it's going to be a team that plays hard, runs up and down the court, gives it their all on every, every single night. And I believe that's what you're going to see. Um, I don't know if that's going to translate necessarily into a lot of wins this year. Uh, I think they could struggle maybe somewhat like the men's team does. But, um, you know, they're going to play hard, and, and Kelly Harper's definitely got, got the program going in the right direction, I think. All right, well, both the men and women start up their seasons next week with exhibition games, so we'll have more in the future on how their seasons are going. In other sports, the men's soccer team is 10-3-1 after beating High Point last Wednesday. The 13th-ranked Wolfpack takes on Centenary Tuesday at 7 p.m. The women's soccer team is 7-8-2 on the season and hosts Francis Marion in a non-conference matchup Thursday before finishing the regular season against Duke on Sunday at Dale Soccer Stadium. The volleyball team lost at Miami Sunday, bringing its overall record to 7-18, 0-10 in ACC play. The team returns to action at home this Friday against Clemson in search for its first conference win. And last but not least, the football team made it through the weekend without a loss as they had its bye week before heading to Florida State, who's coming off a big win over UNC this Saturday at noon. All right, thanks, guys. It's another week in Wolfpack Sports. We'll be back next week. For Coop, I'm Derek. Have a good night. the triangles vip talking to people that matter thanks for tuning in to eye on the triangle on wknc 88.1 like we talked about earlier this vip segment is going to cover the downward trend in college yearbook sales joining us here in the studio today are agrimec editor bryant robbins and former editor john cooper elias i'm gonna let you guys go ahead and introduce yourselves all right. Uh, well, I'm Coop. I'm back here again. Just finished up with sports. Um, like Seja said, I am the former editor of the Agrimec here at NC State. Uh, I also have done a little bit of um, work at some regional and national uh, workshops, teaching yearbook and things like that. So I've gotten some experience um, with how yearbook, college yearbooks specifically, um, are going around the whole country. And I'm Bryant Robbins, as uh, Seja said, and I've been on staff for about two years, three years, going on three years now, and I'm the editor this year um, of the Agrimex, so that's what's going on with us this year. Sounds great. So doing kind of some research before we went into this topic, um, I found an article that kind of described exactly what we were here to talk about today. It's called The Death of Yearbooks. Um, It was in The Economist, July 3rd, 2008, and I'm going to go ahead and just kind of read the lead out to you guys. One fixture of college life is rapidly disappearing. Yearbooks, those beloved annual publications recording the events and people of the academic year, are suffering from plummeting print runs or are even being dropped altogether in colleges across the country. This phenomenon is due in part to the price of hardbound volumes typically as high as $75. For cash-strapped students facing ever-rising tuition and living costs, they are a luxury that many can't afford. But the main cause is not the cost so much as the replacement of print with electronic media and for the Facebook and MySpace generation. With social networks linking hundreds of friends and offering digital photographs and videos, the traditional yearbook looks like a bit of a dinosaur. Um, And obviously this is a topic that is not only something that affects college yearbooks, but it's also a big trend among you know newspapers and other print publications even technician is running a focus tomorrow about print media in general and the title is actually is print dying what do you guys think 
Well, the whole thing about having a yearbook and newspaper, anything like that, a yearbook is something that's tangible. You hold it in your hand. It's a book that you're going to go through and look at. And in 10 years, you might not be able to log on to your MySpace page or your Facebook page and, and look at your pictures that you had back then. But, you know, in 15, 20 years after you graduated college and you go back and look through your yearbook, you hold it in your hand and you can physically turn the pages and look and see what you did when you were in college. And that's the thing about the yearbook is it really just captures the year and it's something that's tangible that you can hold on to as compared to looking on your Facebook at what you did, you know, last year. You know, to answer your question about is print dying or the question that might be out there, maybe call me the optimist, but I would always say no. And I don't think it ever will. I think there will always be reasons for it to stick around. I think it's just going to continue to evolve, but you'll still see it out there. And there's so many reasons for that to be the case with yearbooks um, as well as newspapers. I think with newspapers, you see it more with how they're able to um, sometimes uh, do some in-depth reporting and things like that, things that come out of it. Um, with yearbooks, it really is that having something to go back and hold on to in, in 10, 20, 30 years, even longer than that. And that's what Bryant t- touched on with um, who knows if Facebook and MySpace will be around. You just you can't count on things like that. But unfortunately, like you said, um, and like the, it's being reported, people are hanging on those trends and not thinking about the future. But it'll come back to them, and they'll they'll realize that they wish they had their yearbook, I think. Definitely, that makes sense. All right, Matt Moore um, from the Eye on the Triangle team interviewed some people around campus to see what they think of the yearbook, what they think of NC State's yearbook, the Agrimec, and whether or not they felt that it was important. Um, We'll go ahead and play the clips and then let you guys comment on what you think. Hi, I'm Matt Moore, and you're listening to Eye on the Triangle's VIP. Today, I asked students around campus if they thought it was important for NC State to have a yearbook. Amanda Bergeron and psychology? A little bit, but not a whole lot. I mean, not the same level as it is in high school and younger years. I mean, well, at least in this college, I feel like it's too big that we don't, I don't really know a lot of people, and a yearbook with thousands of people would be kind of insignificant for me to be carrying around or pay for. Zach, my major is psychology. I'm a transfer student, 26. I don't really talk or hang out with anybody anyways, so getting a yearbook full of a bunch of kids I don't even know isn't really helpful for me at all. Spencer Little, creative writing. Absolutely not. I think that there's a lot better money that could be spent. I mean, we don't have, like, the dorm that I live in, we don't have, uh, like, paper towels in the bathrooms. I mean, I think there's a lot uh, better things that money could be spent on than yearbooks for college. John O'Neill, junior, aerospace engineer. Uh, I see them as an important way to, to remember the, the events on campus and uh, the organizations that, that go on and the, the causes that are happening throughout the year. John Cornette, and I'm majoring in meteorology. I mean, not really. I thought it was just like mainly just like a high school and anything below that, you know, type of thing. Cody Davis, biological sciences. At college, no. With the number of students we have here, it would it would be a big investment for a student to have to buy a yearbook. With 33,000 students here at NC State, you'd be looking at a couple hundred pages of a yearbook, and that'd be a costly investment of you know upper hundreds uh, of dollars per book, and it, it's almost not worth the resources either. Not as not as underclassmen, it wouldn't be beneficial. But for someone graduating, uh, then looking back on it, you know, someday like a memory sort of thing, it'd be good. Eddie Young's engineering. They'd be cool, but for a university as big as NC State, it's going to be hard to have that many students on any yearbook. I mean, for some people that really, really enjoy college life and their friends, 
it'd be nice to have a yearbook just to reminisce in, but for most people, it's not really going to be too, because they're going to remember their friends, and most people in college are going to keep the friends that they've got, so. Nathan Simmons, mechanical engineering. At college, there'll be a lot of people in there, but I don't know. You don't, I don't feel like I know that many people, like, personally, probably. My name is TJ Keys. My major is Industrial Systems Engineering. Not really. I don't. I've never, I've never actually seen a yearbook from this college, so I don't really see a need for it. I've never really, I mean, like I said, I've never seen a yearbook, so then I don't really understand the importance of it, such as a, like a high school yearbook. I think there's less people, so it kind of means more to the individual because they kind of know everybody. But uh, looking in the college yearbook, it's so many people you probably won't know more than half. I mean, you probably only know a few of the people in the yearbook, so that's why I don't really see an importance for getting one. All right, so those were some clips from around the NC State community, different students on their perceptions of the yearbook. How does that make you guys feel? I mean, what makes you stick to this job despite that not very many people appreciate it? Well, I can say, first of all, um, that it's because we do the job that we do is appreciated by a lot of people, whether it's the student body or not. Um, you know, that that does make it tough. But, you know, the Agrimec is a nationally recognized yearbook. Um, we're winning national awards. Just last year, we won the uh, the Gold Crown Award and the Pacemaker Award. Those are kind of the two national championships for yearbooks, I guess you could call them. Um, so in one way, that does make it worth it. Now, but I think Bryant would agree with me that it's definitely hard when your peers, in a lot of ways, aren't necessarily reflect or respecting your work, and that's what was reflected in those clips that you just played. Yeah, I mean, like, like hearing a pe couple people say they've never actually seen the yearbook, uh, we have an open-door policy. Anybody who wants to come check us out, we're on the third floor of Witherspoon. Uh, come by any time during 9 to 5, and you can see we've got, yearbook, we've got every book, yearbook since 1903. So, you know, if you want to see the yearbook for those people who haven't actually seen it before, come look at it. You know, getting people in the book, we do try to get as many people in the book. There are 33,000 people on this campus, so there's no way we could get that many people in the book. And uh, somebody mentioned, you know, the price um, for a lot of pages. You know, a 320-page book for $55 is, um, I think it's a pretty good price for what it's worth. And like Coop said, you know, national championships, uh, paying $55 to, for a national championship book is better than paying uh, for a basketball ticket when we don't win a national championship. So, you know, that's my kind of feel on that. Do you guys ever have any staff members that end up quitting or just feel very underappreciated? Um, we do see people come and go just because of the work. Uh, it's hard to, sometimes it is hard to think of the amount of work you put into it and it's not really appreciated at some points. We have had a couple of kids who have came out and told us they didn't feel like being on staff because they didn't think anybody on campus cared. But, you know, that's just kind of part of the job. Um, I think anywhere you go, there's going to be those types of feelings for any job. Is this something that either of you have done in high school? I did in high school. I wasn't actually any type of editor in high school. I was just on staff. I did some design, worked with some sports because that was my kind of thing. But I was never actually in charge of anything until I came to NC State. I did yearbook in high school as well, and I, I was on it all four years, and I was the editor-in-chief at one point. But then I came to NC State, and I actually didn't do – I wasn't on the yearbook staff at all my freshman year. It wasn't until my sophomore year when I found out that somebody I knew was on staff, and I used it as a way to uh, get involved and meet more people. So Okay, so – Pretty simple question, but why why is the yearbook important? The yearbook is important because it's the best historical record that we have here at NC State, and it's going to be your single best historical record of your college life and something that you will want to look back on once you've graduated. Um, many of the things that I've read have said that a lot of um, colleges that have quit producing a yearbook, they have people calling now, you know, 20 years later wanting a book, and, um, you know, 
it's just somehow figuring out how to make the people realize that they're going to want it ahead of time. I mean, I also think it's really important for our campus. You know, we work a lot with um, the Alumni Association, and just today we had a lady from um, the Chancellor's Office ask us for pictures of past people of the Board of Trustees because they're having a Board of Trustees reunion at the homecoming thing. So um, having that historical record, people come to us all the time asking for old pictures, um, stuff like that. So, you know, having on campus something that is from years back, it's just important to have those types of things for people. We're, we're the ones who had, you know, the picture of John Edwards from when he was in college. And, you know, we kind of use that as a little marketing ploy saying, you know, you want to have your picture taken. You know, John Edwards has had his senior picture taken. And, you know, the news, the, they're, the media outlets, they're going to come calling when, when something happens. And they know that you went to NC State to see if you had that picture taken. So it's for reasons like that, too. Right. Okay. So kind of last question before we take a break. I'm glad you brought up marketing. What kinds of things are you guys doing to increase awareness of the yearbook and to kind of change perceptions of some of the students on campus? Well, I guess kind of as an oxymoron, we do use Facebook and Twitter a lot. Um, we have a Facebook page, Agra McMahon. If anybody wants to friend him, he has a Facebook, and we will accept all your friend requests. Uh, but we do have a Facebook. We have Unless a Twitter. Unless you go to Chapel Hill, right? Yeah, that's right. We don't want anybody from Carolina. But um, we have a Facebook. We have a Twitter. We have a website, ncsu.edu slash Uh We got a lot of history on there about the book and, you know, anything that's going on now. So we do try to use um, the Internet a lot to market. We also send out postcards after every deadline of, you know, if you're in the book, you're going to get a postcard. It's probably going to go to your parents. But, you know, it says what page you're on. So they, we've got a lot of people who come and ask us, oh, I got this postcard and it says I'm on a page. What is it? And, you know, we'll tell them and if they want to buy a book because they're in it, then that's great. But, um, you know, we run house ads, posters, all kinds of things. We just try to get the word out a lot. We have such an extensive marketing plan in place. And um, it's something that I think a lot of other schools really look look up to us for um, because they don't have something like that in place. It's just unfortunate that we right now are a um, are a yearbook that has to rely on the sales aspect to keep to keep it going because, um, you know, and this is something that maybe we'll talk a little bit more about. But the, the national trend is that schools that um, don't have to rely directly on individual book sales are the ones that seem to be um, most successful. But at the same point, since we have to sell it, we're going to keep marketing it as aggressively as we can, possibly can. All right, that sounds good. Now we'll take a short break, and when we get back, we'll discuss more of the specifics on the national trend. KNC 88.1 This is a WKNC science fiction update. Scientists aboard the International Space Station have reported explosions on the surface of Mars. These explosions appear to be occurring at regular intervals. Spectral analysis will be conducted to gather further information on this phenomenon. For more on this story, tune in to WKNC 88.1 Halloween night at 7 p.m. for a live adaptation of Orson Welles' classic radio drama, War of the Worlds. Programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by Live Nation, presenting comedian Dane Cook November 8th at the RBC Center in Raleigh. Tickets for Dane Cook's Isolated Incident Global Thermo Comedy Tour are available at LiveNation.com and on 88.1. When the WKNC DJ asks for it, be the correct caller at 860-881 or 515-2400 and score a pair of tickets to the show. WKNC would like to thank Live Nation for their continued support. Washington gave it to his troops. Jefferson enjoyed it as he wrote the Declaration. And the reason the Pilgrims dropped anchor at Plymouth was because their supply was running low. What is it? It's beer. And as the country expanded westward, pioneers took their families and their beer with them. 
So wherever your travels through history take you, the National Beer Wholesalers Association wants you to enjoy your beer safely and responsibly. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. The Triangle's VIP. Talking to people that matter. You're listening to WKNC 88.1. We're back with Bryant Robbins, Agrimac editor, and former editor John Cooper Elias. Coop, why don't you tell us a little bit about how other college yearbooks are doing? I mean, you go to national conferences and give workshops. What kinds of trends are you seeing over there? Well, just last year we had one, and the title of the session was The State of College Yearbooks. And really it was to come in and have everybody kind of tell about the state that, that their school was at at the time and, um, you know, give details about what exactly they go through, how they um, sell their book or how they distribute their book. And it was really interesting. Um, we happened to be, unfortunately, the Agrimic was kind of one of the one of the few there that seemed to really be in trouble. And the reason why, again, was because we were relying on sales. Most of the other schools, it was a mixture. It was large schools um, that have it included in student fees or something like that. And so they're able to just print a large amount of copies and give the books away to students. Um, Or it's smaller schools, smaller private colleges, where the feel of those schools is more like a high school. And when you were in high school, you know, you knew everybody there. You knew everybody who was going to be in the yearbook. And that's one of the reasons why it's pretty easy to sell it to people because they know that they're going to see themselves and their friends in the book. And so with a small college, it's that same sort of thing, and that's why they were able to be so successful. You mentioned the funding sources. Agrimec asked for a increase from student fees this year. How is that going to help you guys out? Well, we were Bryant may be able to touch on this a little bit more because he was directly involved in the process. But we asked for a dollar fifty increase, um, and we got a fifty cent increase. Um, so, Bryant, what exactly is that going to going to get them this year? Um, well, the fee breakdown, the Agrimec specifically was only asking for a dollar. We were asking for the other 50 cents for student me as a whole just because, you know, with the economy, the trend, uh, administrative charges, we just need a little bit more money. But, you know, the dollar was specifically for the Agrimec, and what it was is for a pilot project that we started this year. Seniors who get their senior portrait taken are going to be able to get a free yearbook. And what's going on with that is um, we just need ask for the fee. We got 50 cents. So basically we were asking for a dollar, which was going to be able to let us print about a thousand books um, and just give them out to on a first come first serve basis based on seniors doing something like getting their portrait taken or participating in parents and families weekend with the 50 cents that we did get. Um, we're going to be able to do the same thing on, but on a smaller scale of 50 cents, we're going to be able to produce less books about 500. And I mean, that's huge right there because really it is all about the press run and we have had to decrease our press run over the past few years, um, but we were able to keep it at a level where, you know, it was still worth it for our publishing company to, to you know, stay in a contract with us. Um, but I, I know they're thrilled that we're going to be able to, you know, print more books and obviously, you know, hopefully we can keep this trend going and maybe figure out more ways to do it. You know, we can sell additional books and then we can also, you know, print more based on that. And this is not really something that's a new concept for college yearbooks. I mean, I was reading a 1996 New York Times article that kind of talked about the downward trend in college yearbook sales and actually mentioned University of Memphis had announced that their yearbook would cease production before the year 2000. What do you think is the cause of that? I mean, it's not the economy. So what is it? 
Well, you're right. It's not the economy. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it wasn't social networking back then. So, um, you know, some of the things that they've identified, it's that the whole um, campus culture really took a big change um, from where people used to always be on campus all the time to schools started having more students, more commuters. And there's just not that same sense of campus culture where it's almost like the school is its own community. And so I think when you take part of that away, that really started the the downward trend that we started to see. Um, so, yeah, that, that would probably be the number one thing, in my opinion. Okay. And that same article kind of talked about yearbooks that had ceased production and then decided to come back. I mean, how difficult is that and what what changed to make them be able to survive again, I guess? It's an extremely difficult process, and it's why I think schools fight so hard to keep their book alive while they have it. Um, because, you know, once you have the everything there in place, it's a lot easier to just keep going, but maybe on a smaller scale um, than it is to pick back up later on. But, again, I think the thing that probably contributed most to that was that they realized that they wanted it. They realized that there was a demand there for it, um, and maybe that went back up for some reason, or that there was a need for it. Again, Bryant talked about earlier, the Alumni Association, um, they have a copy of every Agrimec over there um, so that people can come and look at those. The library keeps copies of it, um, things like that. So it is very important to the university, and I think that the administration would really feel a loss if, um, or a significant void, you know, if the book were to get lost. Okay, that sounds good. And Bryant, you keep touching a lot on the history of the Agrimec and the importance of that. Could you give us just kind of a brief history? Yeah, the Agrimec is actually NC State's oldest publication. The first one was printed in 1903, and we've had a book printed every year since then. Um, the original name, the Agrimec, sounds kind of funny. NC State was originally the North Carolina School of Agricultural and Mechanical Arts, so they took the agriculture and the mechanical and made the Agrimec. So it's kind of it's where we got the name from. Okay, that sounds great. Coop, do you have anything else you want to add? Uh, no, just going along with that, I mean, I was going to say there's there's a lot of schools that they – they don't, um, you know, know the roots of their yearbook or something like that. Ours really is, um, you know, has a lot of tradition and a lot of history there. And we're very proud of it. Everybody who's on staff is proud of it. And, um, you know, it's something that I think they'll keep they'll keep fighting for and something that I think you will see around for many years to come. All right. That sounds good. And you guys have a Facebook and a Twitter. What is your Twitter? It's Twitter.com slash Agrimec, I believe. So get on there and search Agrimec. And, and, and the website ncsu.edu slash agromech. That sounds great. All right, thanks for joining us. Community Canvas on Eye on the Triangle. Your local arts news. Damian Madalena is a Ph.D. student in the College of Natural Resources at NC State. And while he isn't busy studying forestry, he's either brewing beer, gardening, or volunteering at WKNC. Madalena can be heard Saturday mornings playing progressive, soul, psychedelic, and garage rock of the 60s and 70s from 8 to 10 a.m. during his show, Mystery Roach. However, on this Halloween, October 31st at 7 p.m., Damian Madalena will join the rest of the newly formed radio acting troupe, the Two Cabbage Radio Players, for a performance of War of the Worlds. To better understand the project Madalena is working on, it's important to know the history of War of the Worlds. The original War of the Worlds is actually a science fiction novel describing the Martian invasion of England. 
Written in 1898 by British author H.G. Wells, the book takes place during the Victorian period and stylistically is composed similar to that of newspaper headlines, with most of the book given in a first-person journalistic narration. In 1938, American writer and actor Orson Welles took the novel to the airwaves. Orson Welles adapted, directed, and narrated the book into a radio drama for the theater company Mercury Theater on the Air. It aired Halloween night, October 30th, on the Columbia Broadcasting System, or CBS, and it caused quite a stir. With its breaking news headline style, in combination of listeners turning in mid-program, War of the Worlds struck fear in the American listenership. Broadcasted from the New York office of CBS, the program was carried on affiliate stations nationwide, and with a fierce quickness, the news spread that America, New Jersey specifically, was under Martian attack. For this week's segment of Community Canvas, Mike Alston sat down with Davian Madalena to talk about the localized adaptation of War of the Worlds, the work that went into it, and the inspiration for the project. So there was a traveling company from L.A. that came out and performed War of the Worlds, the original radio drama, as well as, I think, The Lost World. I can't recall the second okay. one because I actually had to leave. They did them both for Halloween. They did them both uh, around Halloween. Um, and there was a, you know, an introductory discussion by John Kessel, a sci-fi Science author. Science fiction author. Yeah. yeah, he was there. We went to see that. And the whole time I was watching it, I was thinking, man, this is awesome. Yeah. And I love radio as a format. I mean, I, I listen to ball games on the radio. I love the announcers. I love, to, I love the way things sound coming through the radio. So... It, all that night, I just kept thinking, I got to do this on the radio. I got to do this on the radio. And it just sort of sat there, you know, in the back of my head for several months. And I guess I contacted uh, the station about doing it three or four months ago, and it slowly grew. Um, and I hadn't really heard the story or read the complete radio drama mm -hmm. uh, in a long time, probably since, like, I had to read it in school. And I yeah. was really surprised at the format that it took because the first third – say is is the radio part where there's introduction or interruptions on the radio um and there, you know things start happening and uh -huh. the, the first pod comes down right and i kind of just remembered that part and forgot about the second cup uh the second section where the radio station basically gets destroyed right uh the announcer dies um <laughs> And then it, it flashes to battle scenes. You just hear radio chatter from the, the, the battlefield and radio chatter from the airplanes, and it's really lonely and sad. It's like these guys who are um, lost. There's no one, they can't communicate with, with their, uh, you know, their peers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's kind of sad, and it's really chilling. And I remember listening to that and going, man, this is creepy. You so know? to the innocent listener, there really is reason to be frightened. Yeah, kind of, especially the first part. Uh, -huh. uh the second part I would hope especially now that we're savvy enough to go this can't that. be right you know right. as a side note my parents were here this weekend and they, they my mother reminded me that my grandmother was working the switchboard so my grandmother was working the switchboard the night of the war of the world's production you know she was in her 20s and living in new york city and getting all these phone calls like oh my god everything's weird what's going on <laughs> and they had no idea you know and they were <laughs> trying to explain things, and after a while, I guess they figured it out. But right. So anyway, so there's the first part where there's the radio, there's the second part where there's the battlefield, and then there's the third part where it's like the internal uh, thoughts of the main character. Uh, in this case, we've been calling him Dave Pearson. The original character's name was Richard Pearson, and I think we're changing now all the characters to real names. So mm -hmm. the uh, main character, Dave Follist, uh, who is a physics graduate student, um, you hear him and his internal thoughts um, which then in the same monologue 
manifest to him writing in a journal. You know, so he's wandering the countryside, and then he's writing in a journal, and then finally he's writing a memoir after everything has has you know come yeah. become corrected and the aliens have all died. Right. So it's those three sections that really I think make this thing work and make it unique uh-huh. um, and make it fun to uh, be involved with. So is Dave the protagonist for the entire three sections? Is he the focus, or is that more towards the end for him? Well, uh, he more so in the original was the main focus. It's the character that was played by Orson Welles. Okay. Uh, it's in the beginning of the original. Uh, they, they interview him as at, at his observatory. Uh, they then check in with him when things start to happen. Uh, he happens to be at the scene of the first crash. They go and investigate. Um, and then, yes, he's the main character throughout the rest of the play. But for us, we didn't want to have an observatory. We didn't uh, think it was necessary to have sort of the informative conversation about Mars and canals on Mars. Right. So we've changed things slightly. I don't want to give it away at this point, but Dave is connected with someone that works at the station, and that's how he gets involved. And because he's a physics student uh, in astrophysics, he's you know they start asking him questions, which he tries to explain, but admits that he doesn't quite know. Yeah. Um, and then it, he stays the main character, I guess, throughout the end. So the focus in the beginning is really on... Uh, I don't know what I've said already. Uh, maybe I don't want to give it all away. But the, the focus in the beginning is on Jacob. Mm-hmm. Jacob uh, Downey, uh, who is a DJ here at the station, is in the studio. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. He's in the studio sort of interrupting some things. So how did you assemble the cast of characters? Obviously, KNC staff was a natural place to look. And then you knew Dave... The astrophysics student. All right, so I know Dave through some friends, uh, and I met him at a coffee shop, uh, you know, coincidentally. We were sitting down drinking um, at a coffee shop on Hillsborough Street, uh, drinking some coffee, and we were talking, and I just started to, like, gaze into his eyes, you know, sort of creepily. Don't put it on the air. So anyway, I'm sitting there, <laughs> I'm sitting there, because that's exactly what happened, actually. I'm talking to Dave, and I had just been formulating the cast in uh-huh. my mind. I'd been talking with uh, Jacob. Uh, I think at that point, Caitlin said she was interested and Dave and I were talking, and I just kept hearing his voice. He's got a really good voice, uh, an amazing voice for radio. And I was like, Dave, you are going to be in my production of War of the Worlds. And he's like, what? I said, you're going to be in War of the Worlds. You want to be on the radio? He said, well, I've never been on the radio. I was like, ah, it's easy. It doesn't matter. It's easy. It's easy. It's, you sit in a room, you're talking to a microphone, thousands of people listening, actually one. Uh, but uh, I, I said, look, don't say yes now. Don't say no, but don't say yes yet. You know, I'll call you in a week. So I called him two weeks later, uh, and he said yes. He, he didn't even take some convincing. Like, he just said yes. Nice. So I was pretty pleased with that. So that's Dave. Uh, Brandon, um, who, who is the keyboardist from the Magic Babies, who I know through Galen, um, he, I just, he, he had the, I guess he, I saw him out one night, you know, at a bar somewhere, and mm-hmm. I was like, hey. You got to be in my radio play. Uh, Damien's st- <laughs> wild ride. <laughs> so anyway, so I, I, I ran into Brandon coincidentally and just uh, put it in his ear. And he had done, I guess, drama when he was in high school. And he's mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, you know, I'd love to do that. Um, and I think his reasonings are similar to mine for doing it in the first place. You know, I, I had a lot of creative outlets when I was in my teens and my 20s. You know, I played bands. I played in a lot of bands, played a lot of music. I wrote. I pretended I was, you know, a writer. Um and things like that, but I've become too pragmatic in my 30s. All I read is nonfiction and how-to books, and right. And I, I was looking for a creative outlet, 
uh, beyond what I had already been doing around the station. And so this this was a sort of natural fit for that. And so that's one of the reasons I think that Brandon got involved. Uh-huh. Um, so Caitlin is from the station. Jake is from the station. That's Brandon. That's Dave. Uh, Skip, the AV geek, uh, who I know through Jeff uh, at the museum. I saw Skip again out, uh, and it was the night of SparkCon, I think. I was down on Fayetteville. Um, and I, I just ran into Skip, I was, and I said, "Hey, Skip, we're doing War of the Worlds." I know Skip's into sci-fi, right? And I just figured he'd say, "Oh, cool." Uh, so I said, "Skip, we're doing War of the Worlds," and his eyes just bugged out. He got really excited, and he's like, uh, "Oh man, oh man, oh I got to get involved." In he that. had been waiting for you to say that. Yeah, he just was like, "Oh man, I got I can help out, right? Can I help out?" And I was, I don't want to make him sound like he was desperate. He was sounding. Skip sounded like really like a giddy little kid. He's the AV geek. Yeah. And he said, man, I, I used to read that in my, you know, in my room and pretend I was broadcasting it when I was a kid. Like, I am, yeah, I'm on board. Right. And I, coincidentally, I was with Brian Dunahoo uh, of Starmount that, uh, that night. We were having a drink uh, on Fayetteville Street. And he, so he and I were talking, and I said, yeah, Brian's doing the Foley sound effects. And Skip was like, oh, yeah, I'll help with that. That sounds great. And I was like, well, yeah, you can read some of the smaller parts as well. And he said, yeah, yeah. So that's how Skip got involved. Uh, and then Liz... Uh, of course, works at the station. Uh, she, I sort of put out a call because we needed a few more. And she, right. She's involved in drama at the station. I guess she was just in Waiting for Godot. Exactly. And now she's in It's a Wonderful Life, maybe? That's right. Yeah. So I think that's everyone, if I'm not mistaken. Brandon, Skip, Dave, me, Liz, Caitlin. Yeah. Jacob, yeah. Jacob, yeah, that's everybody. So have you looked into... I think we have discussed your inspiration for doing this and yeah. the reason to do this because it's awesome. It is. It have is you awesome. looked into much why Orson Welles did it when he did it? And I, if he knew the implications of what he was doing at the time? I don't. I often wonder. He seemed quite mischievous. Um, I don't know. That's one thing I haven't looked into. because, Unfortunately, I'm, I'm trying to weave this all in with my, uh, as you know, my other uh, responsibilities. PhD. Yeah, pursuing so, a PhD right now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I don't know exactly why he did it. I think you know their their thing was it was Halloween, and he says this in the original script. Um, it was Halloween. They wanted to sort of you know say boo to everyone, and and it's a great story. It's a it's a wonderful uh, tale of you know man's place in the ecosystem, man's place in the universe, and. Uh, you know, because I'm in natural resources, I stick in the term trophic level, yeah. which is nerd, you know, trophic level. But um, basically, it's like we had this perception of our security on this planet. And then that was sort of shattered by the fact that there's more out there mm-hmm. and how fragile. I mean, I sort of read it with an environmental bent. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, that has to come out in you. Yeah, it does. So my reading of it is that, you know, we, we are a part of this ecosystem and it doesn't take much to disrupt that ecosystem slightly. Um, and I read it as sort of a statement of the, of the delicate balance of the ecosystem. So you have us, you know, on this planet existing, and you could argue a, the highest, if not a very high trophic level. You know, we basically feed on In our own minds, at least. Yes, right. Well, anyway, so we're, we are displaced or shaken by a larger, more powerful force, a super scientific force, you might say. And... You know, eventually they're defeated. Uh, you can listen in and figure out how um, or find out how. Um, and it, it just goes to, I guess, the ebb and flow of ecosystems is kind of how, mm. how I read into it. 
Cool. Well, uh, once again, Saturday, October 31st. Yeah, the, it will be the perform. The performance is Saturday, uh, October 31st, Halloween night at 7 p.m. It will run for one hour, 7 to 8. Uh, it's a, a live, localized adaptation of Orson Welles' dramatization of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. That's a mouthful. Yeah. Cool. We look forward to it. Thanks, Damien. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that was community and that was community canvas on Eye on the Triangle 88.1 WKNC. All the music clips that you've heard are from Starmount, who is doing the live sound effects and music for the War of the Worlds broadcast. Additionally, for fans of the local music scene, there is a free show Friday, which is part of WKNC's Fridays on the Lawn, featuring Max Indian and Schooner. Student of the Week on Eye on the Triangle. Talking with Wolfpackers that are leading the pack. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle's Wolfpacker of the Week. I'm Seja Hindi. Today I sat down with senior in political science, Andrew Tucker. Tucker talked to us about his involvement with mixed martial arts and his strength training, which seems to be working. Tucker was a few minutes late to today's interview, and when I called him to see why, he told me that he had cut his finger open all the way to the muscle and had to super glue it back together because he refused to get stitches. Maybe Tucker can give listeners a little insight into his mental and physical strength training. My name is Andrew Tucker, and I'm a senior in uh, political science communications. Hopefully, I'll finish up the minor in economics, nonprofits, where it's all over with. I guess one of the most interesting things about me is uh, that I uh, fight MMA. It's really only something I've really been into for about the past six months. Seriously, I've been trying to train for 13, 14 months, but the past six months has really been where I've where I focused a lot of my efforts with it. I fight Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is kind of like Jiu-Jitsu, uh, but uh, has Brazilian influences from. And then I also uh, fight Muay Thai kickboxing. I fight independently for the most part. I've been in between gyms. I have great coaches, uh, Vinny Almeida and uh, Rick Vordeth, both those guys do great jobs. One of the amazing things is on campus, I found a lot of resources for what I'm doing. Uh, Patrick Ward down at uh, Campus Rec is built like a Spartan. He does the best power drills class, agilities classes that I've been able to find anywhere. And the Aikido Club actually has some great, uh, it's really just a good principle of, of martial arts. And it's really enjoyable. I guess an average day for me kind of looks like this. I, I get in the morning around 8.30. I'll work the bag, do some agilities, do high intensity cardio. And then I'll, I'll do Pilates or some kind of yoga or some some kind of intensive stretching. I usually lift after that with my brother and then work mitts afterwards. And then I tend to, you know, I'll get lunch, I'll go to class, and then I'm back in the gym again. I usually with my coaches working Muay Thai or Jiu-Jitsu. But on days where I don't practice, I end up going back and just hit more cardio. It's one of those things where once you get into it, you really you really can't stop. And you're always trying to get on. I'm trying to get on with uh, Carolina Fight Promotions, actually, who had an event this past weekend here in Raleigh. Um, so look for me in the spring if uh, you get the chance. A lot of times I, I catch some some garbage about, uh, you know, guy, I'm 6'4", 280, 275, walking around before fights, uh, doing yoga and Pilates and stuff like that. But it's it's great for your health. It's something that uh, I recommend for everybody. Uh, and it's a, it's a lot of fun. I just stick to it. My diet gets a little crazy too. Uh, lentils and, and beans are really hard staple. I eat about three pounds of chicken breast every two days. Lots of tuna, lots of yogurt, lots of frozen fruits. That's one of the best things about where, where I'm coming from with, with all this is I kind of uh, got away from, from being a physically minded person. That's what, that's what I really love about all this is fighting, which is ironically one of those things that it's brought me back down to earth from where I was. You know, you normally think that fighters would be crazy or they, they would be uh, a lot more extreme than other people. But, you know, a lot of my friends will say that, you know, I really lacked a lot of discipline uh, before I really started getting back in the gym. I really had a crazy temper. The thing that fighting has taught me the most is that uh, there's a big difference uh, between strength and force. And, you know, what what I'm doing in the ring, what I'm doing, uh, when I'm punching or kicking or whatever, I'm, I'm working people on the ground. You know, that's that's force. Uh, strength is, is sticking to, to what you believe in and sticking 
sticking to your values. And, and it really is incredible how, how it kind of helps you to isolate those two and emphasize on making yourself a better person physically and mentally. I got into it whenever a friend of mine started kickboxing two years ago. He's 100 pounds lighter than me. He used to beat the snot out of me. So it kind of kind of discouraged me for a little bit. Then got back into it at the, at the beginning of this year and then really had some personal things that kind of just pushed me to want to get in the ring and just give myself 110% every day. It's been, it's been one of the best decisions I've ever made. Three questions people always ask me whenever they find out that I fight is, what's it like to get punched in the face? Have you ever gotten hurt? And what's your favorite move? And I got to say, I, I've always, I always love the punch in the face question because, you know, most people live their life. I'd say the majority of people have never been punched in the face before. You kind of live your life afraid of it. But you know, the first time you get punched in the face, it's one of those things where you're like, uh, okay, this isn't so bad. Uh, I'm still alive. Uh, I'm still kicking. I'm still moving around. Uh, let's let's go again. And uh, I, I guess that's really, that's the point. That's the wall that you jump over. And, and if you can if you can stay past that, if you can keep it past that, you're okay. The worst injury I've ever had was I had a grade two separation whenever a, a guy put me in a shoulder lock uh, and pulled my shoulder out earlier this year, actually. So it, it kind of kept me out of the gym for a while, but uh, it was well worth it. And my, my favorite move in the world is called Nona Plata, which is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu move where you bring your leg above an individual's arm whenever you're flat on your back and lock their, their shoulder in and, and pull their shoulder or pull their arm back behind their back. It's interesting to see, needless to say, uh, YouTube it if you get the opportunity. Another thing that I've really been able to give a lot of myself to this semester is uh, Cap Alpha, which is starting back uh, on campus, recolonizing the Alpha Omega chapter, which was which has been here for a very long time. But we're recolonizing. A lot of people think it's kind of odd because I am a fifth year senior this year to, to just start getting in into the Greek life. But it's one of those things where I, I believe in everything that that uh, I'm seeing them do, and I, I believe in everything that we do. You know, it's it's just been amazing, uh, amazing experience. We just got back from a retreat uh, in Lexington, Virginia, and that's actually where the word was founded, and it was really a life changing experience for me. Probably one of the most uh, cathartic experiences outside of church I've, I've ever had. You know, a lot of times you hear people talk about what it means to be from the South and what it means to be a Southern gentleman, things like that. And, you know, a lot of times it's an image or a lot of times it, it's a way you speak or kind of thing, but it's really all just lip service because whenever it gets down to it, it's all about respect, uh, integrity, reverence, and hospitality. And that's what I love about Kappa Alpha is that every man that I've met who's a member of it uh, shines in those ideals. And, you know, you have guys historically like George Patton and Melvin Purvis and George Marshall, who they completely changed the world with being steadfast in what they believed in. And it's inspiring. And I really am excited to be a part of Cap Alpha, being able to get it off the ground and hopefully be able to get things running here at NC State again. One thing uh, I always like to impart whenever I talk to people about being a student, especially at NC State, is that being here five years, I've, I've done a lot. I've, I've had the opportunity to be a part of a lot of, you know, I've been able to be involved in athletics. I've been able to be involved in student government. I've been able to be involved working on campus. You know, it's great. And the one thing I suggest to any Anybody out there is, is do everything you can whenever you're here. I really urge everyone out there that if you get the opportunity, go online, find a couple clubs you're interested in, something that you may have wanted to, to start before, and go out there and try it, because you may surprise yourself and you may find a lifelong passion. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around the NC State campus. I'm Caitlin Cawley. This is Eye on the Triangle Sound Bites. New DJ Colin Davis went out to ask people what their favorite part of the State Fair is. Not surprisingly, the unusual foods topped our poll. My name is Leo Vercelazara. I'm a sophomore in biochemistry. I'd have to say my favorite part of the State Fair is the fried butter because it's the best and it tastes really good. My name is Sam Lynn and I'm a accounting major. I've never been to the State Fair. 
mostly because it costs too much. Seven dollars to get in is ridiculous. Also, having to pay like five dollars for like fried Twix or fried Oreos is just way too expensive for me. My name is Kendall Smith and I'm a sophomore in biochemistry. My favorite part about the state fair is probably seeing all the crazy people that are walking around and the turkey legs. My name is Hillary and my major is, I don't know, I'm still undecided. I like the um, food. I'm Jerry Wainena, I'm majoring in industrial engineering with a minor in statistics. I really like eating all the fair foods, like that's my favorite part. My name is Taylor Escog and I'm majoring in environmental technology. My favorite part of the state fair is the frozen bananas, yeah, because they taste good. My name's uh, James, I'm a senior in agricultural business management. All that delicious fried food. This has been Sound Bites on Eye on the Triangle. Thanks for listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. Just a couple of reminders. Don't forget to check out our blog after the show, wknc.org slash blog. Also, if you have comments, suggestions, and gripes, email us at publicaffairs at wknc.org. I'd also like to remind listeners to check out Technician tomorrow for a focus on print media and remind you to tune in to the War of the Worlds broadcast on WKNC. And I'd also like to thank Taylor McCune for listening to us all the way from Mississippi. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Eye on the Triangle on WKNC 88.1. WKNC would like to remind you that the second installment of the Fridays on the Lawn concert series is right around the corner. Friday, October 30th will feature the bands Schooner and Max Indian on Harris Field at NC State University. The show starts at 630 and is free and open to the public. There will be free food, t-shirts, and ticket giveaways throughout. Stay tuned at WKNC.org for full details. Fridays on the Lawn is brought to you in part by the Union Activities Board, Inter-Residence Council, and Student Government. Programming on 88.1 WKNC is supported by Live Nation, presenting comedian Dane Cook, November 8th at the RBC Center in Raleigh. Tickets for Dane Cook's Isolated Incident Global Thermo Comedy Tour are available at LiveNation.com and on 88.1. When the WKNC DJ asks for it, be the correct caller at 860-0881 or 515-2400 and score a pair of tickets to the show. WKNC would like to thank Live Nation for their continued support. These days, carrying a mortgage can overwhelm even the strongest person. Don't I know that? But there is a way to help ease your struggle, especially if you're facing foreclosure. One option may be advice from a certified foreclosure prevention specialist. It's absolutely free. Don't struggle. Learn more at www.makinghomeaffordable.gov. That's makinghomeaffordable.gov. Because foreclosure is not a foregone conclusion. A message from HUD in partnership with the National Fair Housing Alliance. Breaking the sound barrier. Yeah. WKNC FM, Raleigh. WKNC 88.1, Raleigh. This is Binko Gambit, and I'm about to begin my uh, program. Sorry, I'm a little tongue tied right now. And we have a special guest in the studio tonight, DJ Aaron Wayne, who will be doing a guest set tonight. And uh, do you want to say hello to folks? Hello. And, um, yeah, so he will be, we'll, we'll talk to him more at the top of the hour. And uh, right now we're going to get things started, not quite with the set yet, but with uh, Peter Cruder, who you may remember from uh, his sort of electronic lounge act from the 90s, uh, Cooter and Dorfmeister. 
but his sound has changed a bit. And I happen to have with me uh, his forthcoming single, uh, and it is called uh, Hard to Find. So check it out and enjoy. Enjoy. 